Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Uh, welcome to The Journey. Uh, my name is Bobby. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm the pastor here uh, at The Journey Queens, uh, and I'm excited you joined us. Uh, today, we are kicking off a brand new teaching series called Life Changing Prayer. Uh, this teaching series is going to be based off of a book uh, that a pastor in Brooklyn by the name of Jim Cimbala, uh, he started the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, uh, had uh, written uh, himself. And in this series, if you were here last week, uh, we had a special Sunday uh, revolving around prayer, revolving around how we all uh, are better when our lives are surrounded with prayer. When we're enveloped in prayer, when prayer becomes less of something we do and more of something that we are. See, this life-changing prayer that we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks is exactly as it says, aiming for life change. Let me ask you a question. If I told you that I had a million dollars for you, if you ate one apple a day for a year, And if you missed a day, you were disqualified. You didn't get the money. But if you ate one apple a day, 365 apples, at the end of that year, you had a million dollars coming towards you. I don't think there's a person in here who would miss a day, right? You would be Costco bulking apples, not caring if they were going to go rotten. You would be setting alarms. If you were allergic to apples, I'm guessing you'd try this challenge, right? Because there's such... Good things at the end. A million dollars, such an incredible prize moving towards that. But then I really began thinking, if we really believe in God, and we really believe that he can change our lives in the ways that we're asking him to, then why don't we pray as often as that, as consistent as that? What is the draw for us in prayer? And and why do some of us, even though we have been walking with God, walking with Jesus, some of us for many, many years, prayer is still in our lives something that we do. And probably for a lot of us, something that we in the back of our minds wish, I wish I did more of that. I wish I prayed more. I wish I had more time for that. I, I wish I could spend hours and hours and hours in prayer. The great Martin Luther, uh, who uh, initiated the Great Reformation, uh, once had, uh, there was a story about him that he would often spend two hours every morning in prayer, or a, a set amount, and on days where he had extra work, and he had extra whatever he had coming, he would not pray less, but pray more. And he said, that is the key to being able to do all of the rest of what I do. See, he understood this concept that his life and his soul depended on this prayer, and he began to integrate that into his life as much as he could. You see, I'm excited for this series because as uh, Rob mentioned earlier during our hosting, we're going to also be having these life-changing prayer community groups uh, that will line up with our Sunday teaching. 
So if you were around in the fall, we did this uh, with Return to Me, a book that uh, we also lined up. But each week our messages will, will line up with what you're going to be discussing in a community group. Uh, and, and we have those two groups available. We're hoping to add more as well. And so we're really looking to approach this less of a, hey, here's some knowledge and do something with it. And more along the lines of together, as a church body, let us begin to envelop ourselves and our church and our church family and our individual families with prayer more and more. So as we jump into that over the coming weeks today, I want to kind of give an intro to that, something I felt laid on my heart that, that I think will help usher us into the right mindset as we begin talking about life-changing prayer. And that thought, again, kept coming to mind that if we believe that prayer works and that if each one of us has things in our lives that we are struggling with, wrestling with, dissatisfied with, then why don't we pray as if that would change? Why is it that we don't pray more than we think we should or that maybe we would want to? I think the answer is because in addition to pursuing Jesus, we are also battling darkness. We are also battling this other side of the spiritual spectrum that is darkness. And as we take a look at that, I hope that today you'll be able to see that in your pursuit of God, you are not alone in feeling like it's difficult. That you are not alone in feeling like developing a prayer life is not an easy thing to do. That it's easier said than done. And I hope you're able to see and begin to understand a little bit more about why that is. So I'm going to start off by going to the very first mention of light in the Bible, which coincidentally is the very, very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're not going to read the whole Bible, but we're going to start right at the beginning. Genesis 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. And in verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. So if you've read this story before, you've read the, the creation account before, upon quick glance, you might look at this, and maybe your mind is saying, boom, day and night, God created the light and the darkness, the sun, the moons, that's where we're at. But if you skip down to uh, verse 14, which is day four of creation, the Genesis account, take a look at what we see. Verse 14, it says, then God said, light, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, the sun, and the lesser one, the smaller one, to govern the night, the moon. He also made the stars. God set these lights into the sky uh, to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. 
See, we see this, this creation account and where we might think that in the beginning, God is creating everything, the solar system, the sun, the light, but we see he creates this, what we know now is the sun and moon and stars in day four. And so what is this light that God is talking about in the beginning of Genesis in these first five verses? Well, there's a lot of different theories about what this could be. It could be the concept of time. It could be that Christ himself uh, was the light that lit up the universe before God created the sun. But what I want to pose to you today is that maybe we are being introduced to this concept of walking in the light versus walking in darkness. The concept of following good versus following evil. The concept that even if you believe in God and believe in Jesus and are a faithful follower of his, you still will wrestle with darkness and sin. To further this, you see, we see that in the beginning there in, in the book of Genesis. But I want to jump over to the first five verses of the book of John. And the reason is I think John does a very purposeful thing here as he is describing Jesus. In the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning of his account of Jesus' life ministry, look at how he opens up. Verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. You see, here we have this comparison that John is making for us, where he is wanting to directly tie into these scriptures that, that the disciples had often studied, and he was directly tying it in with these, these first five verses in Genesis to show several different things, Jesus being in the beginning of it all as one. But I think, too, he brings up this point that Jesus, that the word was created, and that his life, in verse 4, brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. You see, the base of our faith, of Christianity, of really any spiritual belief in some senses, is that there are forces for good and evil. That there are forces of light and forces of darkness. That God resides on the side of light, drawing all men to himself in love and in purity. And that on the other side of that, we have a spiritual enemy, Satan, the devil, his demons, however you want to phrase uh, whatever words you kind of use to describe that. We see here that John is giving us a clear distinction, saying there is light and there is darkness. And we're not talking about the sun and the moon. Later in the scripture, John chapter three, Jesus is speaking. And he gives us a little bit more color on this. Chapter 3, verse 18, he says, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him, meaning Jesus, has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. 
All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. You see, we are all, if you follow Jesus, in this relationship with God where maybe in our minds and in the, in, in the deepest of our hearts, we know what is good. We have a conscience that bears to that. If, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit within you that continues to bear witness to that, that continues to guide you towards good. But if you are a human being with a heartbeat, then you've realized that that's not so easy to live in continuously. We are, by nature, attached to the sin of this world. Our flesh, when we die, decomposes. Our soul lives on, but our flesh decomposes because it is subject to death. It is subject to this darkness. And so we have within us this soul that God has given us that when he describes as that we are the image of God, that we are made in the image of God, that is our soul bearing that witness. But that we are also in this physical form of the body which decays and wants to run to things that temporarily satisfy, and, and wants to just satisfy these, these uh, sinful cravings, as Paul puts it in the book of Romans often. And so, regardless of the fact that we have this knowledge and this understanding of what is good and what is evil, see, often we're not debating that, we're just wrestling with living that out. And so what John, or what Jesus is saying here, is that the, the, what, what brings the judgment of not believing in Jesus is that we have this conscience that, that as humans, we tend to love the darkness sometimes more than the light. That when we don't come to God, often it's shame and guilt that is wanting us to hide our sin, to hide our brokenness. That is telling us you need to not let people see that or they're going to know you don't have it all together. You need to not let people know you're struggling with that sin because you're a Christian. You should have dealt with that. Why is that still in your life? But the truth is, we wrestle with this throughout our lives until we are freed from this earth to eternity. Until our souls are released from this, this bondage of our bodies being a part of this physical world, this darkness, this tie to sin. And so as we jump into this series of looking at light and darkness, of looking at prayer and why we don't pray as much if we truly believe that prayer is a life-changing prayer, I want to take a look at a few reminders for us. Some reminders as we pray that will hopefully keep us grounded to prayer and God. Because church... I promise you that as we go into this series and as we go into these community groups, if you are going to press into God, which I hope you do, my unashamed goal over this next series is for every individual in this room to pray more than they do today. Now, I'm not putting a what that looks like. 
You know your prayer life. You know what that looks like. If it's absent, if it's just over meals or for safety when you get on the train or if you're in need of help or maybe you have a really awesome moment and you're thanking God or maybe your prayer life is very enveloped in prayer and you do have a lot of prayer consuming your life and consistency. That's great. I want us collectively to take another step forward towards God in that. But I promise you that as we do this, you will battle darkness. That the spiritual enemy we follow does not want you to draw closer to God. The forces of evil, the forces of sin, are constantly pulling us away from God, where the love of Christ and the spirit of Christ, the word, as John refers to it in uh, John chapter 1, is drawing men to himself. And so there is this pulling apart that we are in the middle of. And we have to decide how to respond. So a few reminders for us as we jump into this series and as we pray. The first, Jesus is light. And he is changing us into children of light. Jesus has said that he is the light. John in John 1 tells us that he was, his life was the light for all men. And here we see in John chapter 12, Jesus is speaking, and it says, Jesus replied and said, My light will shine for you just a little longer. At this point, he's speaking to his disciples uh, just a little bit before he is crucified. So he's referring to his life on earth, saying, My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they're going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time, and then you will become children of the light. See, church, when we take time to pray and to draw near to God, we are embarking on a spiritual journey that puts us on our spiritual enemy's radar. That there are forces that notice when you pray, and that do not want that to continue. Busyness is an, an incredible opportunity for us to lose sight of prayer. But you see, what Jesus is saying here is that it's not about do more, pray more, be more holy. But that God, what Jesus is telling us is that instead of teaching us to do more, what God is doing is developing our character. You see, Jesus came into this world, I love how Rob put it at the beginning of our communion time, that he came into this world to, to save us from our sin, to give us this opportunity to step out of darkness into light, for us to begin to take our sin and our brokenness and our weakness and to give it to the God of the universe because he sees it all anyway, and because he's the one who can walk us through it. See, Jesus wants us to not just get better at praying, but to become children of light, that our character, our souls, our beings are so enveloped in this light that we are walking in the light so consistently that prayer then becomes just a natural part of that. That it's not something we begin to have to remind ourselves to do or set a reminder and I have to pray in the morning or I haven't prayed in a few days. But that as we become children of the light, more and more, our souls understand 
that prayer is just a part of that and that it becomes part of who we are. Not only for eternity, but for our death and sin in our lives, that God can redeem all things. That same power, as we believe in Jesus, lives in us. So through the power of Christ, you and I have the ability to combat this darkness and to see light win out. But our pride wants us to think we can do it on our own. But it's in humility when we come to God, acknowledging we need help, acknowledging, God, this area of my life, my goodness, I have no idea what to do with it. I'm broken. I'm weak. It's stressing me out. I get angry every time I think about it. I'm not acting great in it. My sin is in it. I don't want to look at it. I just want it to go away. But what God wants is for you to look at it and bring it to him. Uh, the, the theme verse that we'll be taking a look at over the course of the series that Life Changing Prayer is based on comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. We talked about it last week as well. Uh, I'm going to go from verses 12 to 15. And at this point in Scripture, Solomon, King Solomon of Israel, has just built the temple of the Lord where the Lord will live, where the Israelites can go and meet with the Lord. And in verse 12, it says, Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I may shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. In today's terms, you're going to face trouble. Your bank account's going to dip below where you planned. You're going to have trouble with your kids and their behavior. You're going to have marital problems. You're going, to, you're going to wrestle with sin. You're going to have trouble. But verse 14, he says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek the Lord, my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. See, I think it's in this passage that we're given an incredible promise from God that should we, who are called by God's name, those of us today who believe in Jesus, who follow God, who, who claim to be pursuing the good of God and want our hearts to be there, should we humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face? He will heal our land. He will heal those things in our lives and, and he gives us this incredible promise that his ears will be open, that his eyes will see, that our prayer will be answered. But on that flip side of humility, if we don't bring our sin and our struggle and the darkness in our lives to God, then we're ignoring it. We're pushing it into the corner. We're, we're putting it behind us, pretending it's not there. And at some point, if you're going to continue following Jesus through your life, he's going to look at that darkness and say, it's time to deal with it because I love you too much. Because God doesn't want us to be bound to the darkness. He doesn't want us to live in darkness. As, as Jesus said in that verse we read prior, that all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for their sins will be exposed. See, if we love that sin, we love that pride, we want to hide it, and we don't want to bring it out into the light, we don't want God to see it or deal with it, 
then, then we're, we're refusing to walk in that light. But, but he goes on to say, but those who do what is right come to the light so that God can begin to work in those areas. That's humility. God, I need you in this area. I cannot do this alone. I cannot overcome the darkness. You are the light that overcomes the darkness. We have to come to God in humility. And our third reminder, God never leaves us and we can't run from his presence. God never leaves us and we cannot run from his presence. There's a great verse or there's a great passage uh, that as we're talking about prayer, King David prays. It's one of his more famous prayers in the book of Psalms. But I think it speaks greatly to this concept of this assurance we have that God is always with us. And I think the reason this is important is because what we begin to hear when we see sin and darkness in our lives is that God doesn't want to deal with that. We need to handle that so we can be holy for God. And that's a really backwards way of thinking because we can't handle this darkness. We can't handle this sin or this struggle in our lives. And so in humility, we come to God. And in this prayer, we see David say in Psalm 139, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me. Ooh, how many times do we ask the darkness to hide us, church? You're not alone if that rings a bell. If you've ever had something in your life that you felt like you wanted to hide from God, go back to the Genesis, in the very beginning of the Bible, what did Adam and Eve do after the first sin? It says they hid themselves from God. See, our shame causes us to want to hide from God and to not bring our darkness into the light. But what David is saying here, that even if I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even the darkness, even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. And look at this beautiful, beautiful promise. To you, the night shines as bright as the day, Darkness and light are the same to you. Church, darkness does not scare God. He defeated it. Your sin does not overwhelm God. He defeated it. And he wants to give us the power in our lives to walk into that darkness, to conquer darkness with his power, to overcome sin in our lives, to become holy, separated vessels for God. To begin to communion with God more and more. And for our spirit to grow more and more attached to the spirit of Jesus that lives within us. And so as we do that, as the shame wants to tell us to turn away from the light and to darkness. Because we don't want God to see that. We don't want people to see that. What David says here is even if I wanted the darkness to hide me, you're still there. Even in the moments where you wish God wasn't looking at you, he is. And he doesn't look at you with judgment and hatred, but with love and understanding and compassion. You see, we know that Jesus understands what we go through because he didn't just come to earth as God. He came as man. 
He came as a human that was subject to all temptation, that was subject to wrestling with this darkness, and yet overcame it. And so we have hope in this. In fact, Peter tells us this, or I'm sorry, the book of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Church, I hope this week that you rest in that promise that you cannot escape the presence of God. And that every time that thing within you, that darkness that you experience, wants you to run from God, remember that in light, we have the opportunity to come to Jesus, to receive his mercy, to receive his grace. Because he isn't just a high priest. He isn't just a God that is distant from the suffering of mankind, from the temptation of mankind. But rather he came, he suffered, and he wrestled with that same temptation. He wrestled with that same darkness. He wrestled with that same sin. And yet did not sin. And so we have one that, that intercedes for us. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, is interceding for us, praying for us at all times. How powerful is that? That God is, if you believe in Jesus, that if you've received him, that God himself is actively working against the darkness in your life. That you're not alone in that. But that first step is for us to become aware of it. To become aware that we have darkness, that we see darkness, that we are broken and flawed and, and imperfect humans. But we were designed that way. And that our, our hope doesn't rest in us figuring it out, but rather in us clinging to the light and running to the light of Jesus, knowing that he understands. That he gives us all mercy and all grace to walk into darkness and to overcome through his power. So church, over the next few weeks, I really do hope that as we enter into this life-changing prayer series, that you take advantage of, excuse me, that you take advantage of that. That you would not only on Sundays hear the message, but that you would also implement, that you would join a community group, that you would allow this process of developing life-changing prayer in our lives to not just become something you do, but to become a part of who you are. Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that we have in you, for the hope that we have in you, the, the promise that we have in you. God, that darkness cannot extinguish the light. God, that even in the darkest places, the small amount of light wins out. That, God, there is no darkness we face, no sin, no depression, no anxiety, no suicidal thoughts, no drug addiction, no alcohol addiction, no porn addiction, no lust, no hatred, no anger, nor life nor death can separate us from the love of Jesus. 
Jesus, I thank you for that. I thank you that even when we run to the darkness, it won't hide us. I thank you that that means there's hope for us in every moment of our lives, no matter how far we feel we are, or how close we are. No matter how broken we are at the depravity of our own sin and how attached we can be to the darkness sometimes. There's hope that your light will win out. Would you help us to believe? Would you help us to pursue you? And would you grow us in, in this life-changing prayer? And would, would, you, would we live as if we truly believed that it would change our lives? Pray this in the name of Jesus.